John chapter 6, verses 47 through 51. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you would help us to understand it and to more fully appreciate the incredible gift of uh, the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, do bless the preaching of your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this past week, I heard of yet another uh, very notable evangelical pastor, uh, and he's also a, a seminary professor who has abandoned the faith and joined the Roman Catholic Church. And I'm always saddened when I hear this because I think, how on earth can Protestants believe that? Of course, uh, this person had abandoned the five solos of the Reformation long before. He was really not reformed, as he claimed to be. Uh, but it still makes me sad. And uh, these people think that Rome is in continuity with the church of the past, but nothing could be further from the truth. Um, they really abandoned the Catholic faith around the 1260s. And if you look at the faith of the uh, fathers in the first thousand years, at least up through the 1260s, uh, they were thoroughly Protestant, uh, very, very clearly so. Now, Romanists nowadays love to debate with you on whether or not you're the ones who have abandoned the Bible, you're the ones who have abandoned the faith uh, on the sacrament. And uh, they say that, uh, after all, Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. They said nothing could be clearer than the fact that this bread turns into the actual flesh of Jesus. This blood turns into the actual blood of Jesus. And without eating of his flesh and blood, you have no life in you. And so you're the ones who have abandoned the true faith. And so what I want to do is I want to uh, take a look in 1 Corinthians, if you'd turn there with me, because I do want you to follow along and see this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, look at these phrases, and I want to show that it's really Rome that abandoned the historic faith, uh, not the reformers at all. 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to look at a few verses here, we're going to start with verse 24, it says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The question I would ask the Romanist is, had Jesus died yet? And they would say no. Say, well, were they at that last supper, literally eating the flesh and blood? Well, not yet, because he had not been crucified yet, so he couldn't be sacrificed at that point. Uh, but this is a, an is that relates to the future. So they're not taking this literally at all. I would say if you take this at face value, when Jesus said, this is my body, even Roman Catholics admit he could not be crucified or sacrificed before the time of the cross. So it has to be a symbol. It has to be a metaphor. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 10 and uh, verses 16 through 17. The cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? 
The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So this passage says that you and I are one bread and one body. And even Roman Catholics admit that that is symbolic language. It's a metaphor, since the bread doesn't change into our bodies. But if this is a metaphor here, why can it not be a metaphor in the previous verse when it says, Jesus said, this is my body. Uh, next, flip over to chapter 11, verse 25. Chapter 11, verse 25, in the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, if we're really to take this literally, then this means that the metal cup is the covenant, not the wine. And uh, I've read Roman Catholic uh, commentaries that say, well, the cup represents the wine of the covenant. It's not the cup itself that is. And I say, okay, if is can mean represents here, why can it not mean represents in the phrase, this is my body? They're not being consistent. But Romans says that the word is means that the wine changes into the blood and the bread changes into flesh. And let me quote from the Roman Catholic Council of Trent where they defined transubstantiation. And by the way, this has never been revoked. In fact, Second Vatican Council upheld this definition. This is a still official Roman Catholic teaching. They say, by the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. This change the Holy Catholic Church has fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. If anyone denies that in the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist are contained truly, really, and substantially the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ and consequently the whole Christ, but says that he is in it only as in a sign or figure or force, let him be anathema. Let him be anathema means let him go to hell, let God cast him into hell. That's what they're doing. The weird thing about that is they castigated to hell the vast majority of church fathers of the past that they claim to uphold. And I've made it a hobby over the last 30 years to read through the church fathers, and this is crystal clear over and over again, the church fathers uh, said exactly what Council of Trent said, you must never say that it's a symbol or a figure and not the real thing. And so Rome has basically stepped outside the Catholic or universal faith. Uh, Mornay, uh, one of my favorite Huguenots, he was a Protestant pastor in the six, uh, 1500s, he wrote a fat book with thousands and thousands of quotes showing definitively that the church fathers of the first 1200 years prior to um, you know, the 1260s, clearly held to the reform, the, the Reformation view of the sacrament. Um, for example, Augustine absolutely denied that Christ's body could be in two places at the same time. His body is in heaven. It can't be in this church and another church and all over the world. He absolutely denied that it can be in two places at the same time or he'd cease to be human. Secondly, Augustine insisted that we would be engaged in the crime, and he called it a crime of cannibalism, if we took John 6 literally rather than symbolically. He said, 
understand spiritually what I said. You are not to eat this body which you see, nor to drink that blood which they who will crucify me shall pour forth. Although it is needful that this be visibly celebrated, yet it must be spiritually understood. Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, says Christ, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. This seems to enjoin a crime or a vice. It is therefore a figure or symbol enjoining that we should have a share in the sufferings of our Lord and that we should retain a sweet and profitable memory of the fact that his flesh was wounded and crucified for us. That's Rome's hero, Augustine. And uh, uh, I could give you quotes from many other people who in the same way deny transubstantiation as clearly as any reformed person could. And by the way, uh, Augustine was reformed. Yet the Roman Catholic Council of Trent anathematized views like that. Now, let me give you another hint in 1 Corinthians 11. If you take a look at verse 26, the very context demands that we believe that the bread and the wine have not changed because while it's still in your mouth, it is being called bread. Take a look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, the Roman Catholics say it, it changes into flesh when that bell rings, right, when they're lifting up the host. And so it shouldn't be bread in their mouth at this point. It should be the flesh of, of Christ. And he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So he doesn't say that Jesus dies again or is sacrificed again. Uh, it, um, it, it's, uh, he doesn't say it's no longer bread or uh, no longer his flesh. And he says we proclaim his death, but we're still eating bread and wine. And by the way, Paul says we're waiting for his physical coming. We're not experiencing his physical coming in the Eucharist. So what did Jesus mean when he said that this is my body? Well, the same thing he meant when he said that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The iron or the wooden cup did not change its properties when Jesus blessed it. It represents the new covenant in his blood. It means the same thing that Jesus, um, uh, that John the Baptist said about Jesus when he said uh, that he is the Lamb of God, or that Paul said when he's the Passover. So Passover lambs did not change into the body of Christ, and Jesus didn't change into mutton. Uh, it represents Jesus. And so the word is can mean represents, and thus Jesus is the door, is the rock, is the temple, is the true vine, etc., etc. And the language is really normal. Uh, usage that we use all the time. If I take you through my photo album and I point to a picture of my dad, I'll say, this is my father. Well, you're not going to take me literally that my father is actually there. He's dead. He's long gone. But you know, this photo is a representation of my father. We use that all the time. Traffic signs, all kinds of signs that are out there. So if we take Christ's statement in a literalistic way, we begin to get caught up in the sign and we fail to see what the sign is pointing to, Jesus. And so there are two extremes that we need to avoid. The first extreme is to think that the elements are the reality and not the sign that points to the reality. The church fathers called the Lord's table the body and blood of Christ, just like we do. But then they clarified that what was, they meant by that language was that it was a symbol. It was not the real thing. Eusebius of Caesarea said this, the wine 
which was indeed the symbol of his blood. Now keep in mind that the Council of Trent anathematized anybody who said it was just a symbol. And so this early church father, this early historian, uh, claims the wine which is indeed the symbol of his blood, he gave himself the symbols of his divine dispensation to his disciples when he bade them make the likeness of his body, not the reality of his body, but the likeness of his body. For since he no more was to take pleasure in bloody sacrifices, this is not a bloody sacrifice here, he gave them bread to use as the symbol of his body. Now, Roman Catholics claim that all the church fathers are transubstantiationists, but I don't know how you could get a more clear uh, Protestant affirmation than that. Justin Martyr said that the bread and the wine are for the remembrance of his body and the commemoration of his blood. It's not here. We're just remembering it. Uh, Clement of Alexandria spoke of wine, which is the symbol of the sacred blood. Origen speaks of the symbol which we call the Eucharist. So the idea that um, transubstantiation was the universal position of the church is absolutely false, false to the core. Tertullian said, having taken the bread and given it to his disciples, Jesus made it his own body by saying, this is my body, that is, the symbol of my body. There could not have been a symbol, however, unless there was first a true body. An empty thing or phantom is incapable of a symbol. He likewise, when mentioning the cup and making the new covenant to be sealed in his blood, affirms the reality of his body. For no blood can belong to a body that is not a body of flesh. So he's answering Gnostics who denied that Jesus was a literal human who came to the earth in a literal body. And he said, that's nonsense. Why would you have a symbol of a body if there was no body in the first place? That's what he is saying there. And so the first extreme we go to is to deny that this is a sign or a symbol and instead claim that it's the reality, the literal sacrifice. They believe Jesus is being killed over and over and over again, sacrificed over and over, that it's a, a literal atonement. It is not. The ancient Catholic faith is the exact opposite of the Romanist one. They are the apostates. It's the Reformation that took us back to the early church. But the second extreme is to say that because it's a symbol or a sign, that nothing happens. Uh, that is such a sad view as well. Um, uh, that's a Zwinglian view. Both the ancient fathers and the Reformed teaching is that it is both a sign and a seal. A seal is God's pledge that he is going to bring his grace through this sacrament. So take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 3, and we'll end with this. Well, let's start at verse 3, actually. All ate the same spiritual food. This is the Old Testament saints. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, even Romanists agree that the Old Testament saints did not literally eat Christ's flesh and blood because he had not been incarnate yet. It would be impossible for that to be the case. But Paul is very explicit here. Their sacramental food and drink is identical to ours. Identical, which means it is not the flesh and blood of Christ literally. It's symbolically. And um, it is spiritual food. And the same verse indicates that despite the fact that it was a symbol, it was also a seal. They really drank of Jesus. They drank of that rock that followed them. But it was spiritual drink, spiritual food. The earliest church uh, document that we have is the uh, Didache, 
a document that was probably written before the fall of Jerusalem, but for sure in the first century. And uh, it gives no hint whatsoever of transubstantiation. Instead, it calls the Lord's table spiritual food and drink. Athanasius uh, says the same, arguing against people who thought that the elements were literally flesh and blood. Athanasius said, what Jesus says is not fleshly, but spiritual. For how many would the body, he's talking about it ridiculous to say his body because it's not omnipresent, how many would the body suffice for eating? that it would become food for the whole world. But for this reason, he made mention of the ascension of the Son of Man into heaven in order that he might draw them away from the bodily notion and that from henceforth they might learn that the aforesaid flesh was heavenly eating from above and spiritual food given by him. That's identical to Calvin's view. And so as we come to the Lord's table, let's avoid two extremes. Let's for sure treat this as a sign or a symbol that points to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He is not having to be re-sacrificed over and over again. We are secure in our salvation. It's a sign that points back to a finished work. And secondly, let's treat it as a seal, a pledge, a means of grace that actually sustains us. Um, Stephen Perks this past week unfortunately said on Facebook that he's come to the conclusion that this sacrament here is useless. It doesn't do a thing to us. He, he, he has no interest in partaking of it. Uh, he, he, he's overreacting, talking about we need to have a love feast, an agape feast, but he says this is useless. I say no, it is not. As we come in faith, we believe we will be blessed. So let's pray. Father God, as we come to this table, uh, we come not superstitiously like uh, the Roman Catholics do, nor do we want to come with no faith that you can do nothing through this. We come with a sincere faith that when we claim you by faith, you do indeed bless us in this sacrament. And so I pray that you would give faith to each one who comes this morning, that they might be blessed. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.